Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Wednesday, April 20th, 2022. And yeah, it's a little early for, for the two of us to be recording a brand new fine-tuning, but there's a good reason. Drew and Katie are headed out to... Which of those square states are you headed to? <laughs> I'm heading to Omaha, Nebraska. Omaha, Nebraska. Okay, yeah. not square at yes. all. Okay, <laughs> but but going out there for a great occasion, your mom's seventieth birthday. Yes. So Drew's got places to be, folks. So we we had to do this this show quickly. But that said, he still manages to. Uh, there's no other way to describe it. This is blockbuster animation news about what's going on at Netflix literally this week. So yes, and you can read this giant story over at the wrap. Yes. Drew's home for quality journalism these days. <laughs> so enlighten us as to what's going on over at Netflix right now. Well, if you've wondered why there hasn't been another Centaur World or Kid Cosmic in the past few months, I wanted to know that too. Mm. So I started looking into kind of what is going on at Netflix animation, uh, particularly when it comes to kids and family television. And what I found is not great. Um, <laughs> there are several huge animation shows that I'm sure you guys were really excited about, including Bone, which I think is the big one, the uh, adaptation of Jeff Smith's beloved comic book series, as well as Lauren Faust's Toil and Trouble, which, Jim, I know you were really looking forward to. We were just talking about Medusa last week. We so were. Yet another... We were. Yeah. Lauren Faust project mm -hmm. and then the twits, which is part of the suite of roll doll based mm -hmm. projects over at Netflix. So I talked to a bunch of people over there uh, who are no longer there, who may be going there. And it just, there's a, a real kind of sense that the creativity and all the kind of drive that was there in the beginning is no longer there. And while I was researching this, Jim, I just happened upon a scoop that Phil Rinda, mm -hmm. who got his start in the trenches of shows like Gravity Falls mm -hmm. and Adventure Time and was the creator, uh, the director of creative leadership and development, mm -hmm. was fired this week along with most of his staff. But now, now is this specifically the animated series side of the house yes because i think you and i both got the press release this morning from netflix for my father's dragon yes the feature side still plucking away I, I... oh yes i mean i think the feature side is where a lot of the emphasis has been mm -hmm. diverted towards okay but still you know my father's dragon mm -hmm. is an acquisition title it's uh... not it's not a thing that was developed in-house at Netflix. Oh, that's right. Um, Cartoon Saloon. Yeah. Cartoon Saloon. You know, the two big things last year were Mitchell's versus the Machines, which mm. was a Sony movie, mm. and Robin Robin, which was an Aardman movie. So what are you hearing from the folks that I guess used to work in this area at Netflix? What was the problem? What went south? Well, I think whatever the numbers are, this kind of magical mm -hmm. algorithmic truth mm -hmm. that Netflix is mm -hmm. governed by, mm -hmm. you know, they weren't there for these animated shows. And you had things like, I, I talked to Elizabeth Ito, who mm -hmm. created my uh, City of Ghosts, which I think, Jim, you and I can agree oh, on yeah. is one of the most charming yeah. shows ever. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. And they just don't want to do more. And she said that, you know... That, Everybody I talked to said that there was sort of like 
a lack of transparency when this happens. Mm-hmm. It's really a shame. Doesn't this sort of feel like a a Netflix pylon given yesterday's news about they lost 200,000 subscribers in the last quarter and yeah and they're about to lose 2 million more yeah i mean i you know jim that i've been working on this for the past absolutely yeah you've been few weeks you know you've been, yeah. been talking about you know working your trap line talking with folks and to be honest I'm, first of all i'm i'm hugely impressed with the story given how hesitant people have been to talk up until this point yeah i mean i think it's just sort of like things are not great and people have left this sucks. I mean, it just it's so many talented people and so many good shows. And but the whole notion of well, the algorithm says this, so we're not doing any more of that. But anyway, folks, it's a wonderful piece. It's a deep dive. We've barely skinned the surface here, but I urge you to go over to the wrap and read the full size piece that the jurors put together here, breaking some huge, huge news. And it's it's going to be interesting to see what sort of ripples in the pond this very large rock causes. Well, but cool, great job, great job. Yeah. Okay, well, we have some uh, some other news here on fine-tuning this week. And speaking of news, the news portion of fine-tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. And I bring up this next story, Drew, because I know you know or knew folks who worked in the Wizarding World Department over at yes. Warner's. Did you see the, the, the news that broke, I guess, yesterday about the secrets of Dumbledore? And I want to say it was only four days into its run when ticket sales for Sonic the Hedgehog 2 actually beat out the third in what was supposed to be a five-film series, this brand-new Wizarding World franchise. Now I, I wonder if we even get to see film four. What's your take? I think they're going to wrap it up in one, maybe. But yeah, there's still some lingering things mm-hmm. in there. I don't know. It's did you did you guys go see it, Jim? Not yet. Okay. Typically, when we're telling these stories, it's not about the Harry Potter film underperformed. It's like I mean, remember what happened with Treasure Planet back in uh, November of two thousand two, where. That came out on the exact same day as the second Harry Potter film, the the Chamber of Secrets, and that sold eighty eight million dollars worth of tickets. Where that animated feature only sold twelve million. Or this one actually made me angry because at this point people knew what a Harry Potter film would do, and mm-hmm. so we jump ahead to April of two thousand eleven, and this is the day that Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. So literally, the film that ends the series is going out into theater and Disney decides that they're going to counter program and put Winnie the Pooh out into theaters on the exact same day figuring, well, well, not everybody's going to want to go to Deathly Hallows part two. Uh, I've heard that was a Dick Cook ism. Was it really? That he wanted to kill the movie. And so he said, uh, well, well, I mean, when you look, look at the difference, I mean, Deathly Hallows part two, $169 $169 million worth of tickets where Winnie the Pooh only sells 7.8. I mean, that didn't just kill that movie. It killed the hand-drawn 
what was supposed to be the second birth of hand-drawn animation at Disney. But it could be coming back. We, next week, we're going to talk about Sketchbook, Jim. And, okay. All and right. Maybe, maybe hand-drawn is making... It, it's. I don't think it's running back into theaters, Jim, mm. but it's starting to crawl and... All right. <laughs> you know, I'll take it. I'll take know. it. And we were just talking about the Netflix thing, and I haven't looked since this morning, but we were just talking about the losing the 200 thousand subscribers and really two million more that's what they think yeah two million more next quarter but the stock price it lost 35 percent of its value since that news broke as of this morning and that translates into a market value loss of 50 billion with a b and so they were immediately talking about how they're, they're going to try to get their financial house in order and pulling back on content creation, which do you, do you think that feeds into the animated series thing or I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I think that they're going to be focused more on features mm -hmm. is my guess. And they did talk in the uh, thing yesterday about spending more on big kind of four quadrant things. So that's, that's my guess. They just renewed Big Mouth for a seventh season. But again, raunchy, more adult animation. Likewise, the spinoff of Big Mouth Human Resources just got picked up for season two. Netflix just announced that they're going to do a new animated series based on the Exploding Kittens card game. Yes. So adult animation is getting funded. And, but, and we were just talking about My Father's Dragon, which, as you pointed out, is an, an acquisition. Yeah. I do not know what to make of this. All right. Yeah. Other Netflix-related news. We just found out that the fifth and final season of Jurassic World, Camp Cretaceous, will be available for viewing July 21st of this year. And when we record this, uh, The Bad Guys, the new DreamWorks animation, will have been theaters for four days. Have I talked about The Bad Guys yet? I saw it like a month ago, and I thought it was wonderful. Oh. So everybody who is listening... Mm -hmm. Go watch Bad Guys if you haven't already, because it's wonderful. And everybody did such an amazing job on it. So I just, I loved this movie to death. And I think it is maybe the best DreamWorks movie since How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, so there you go. See, you're making me very happy to hear that because I did spring for the Gallery Nucleus book. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping I get it in hand so I can check it out before the film. And since we're talking Netflix, we might as well talk about, you know, uh, Disney+. Plus. Did you see we're getting another Simpsons short? Yes, uh, this Friday, I think, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Kind of stepping away from the Force Awakens from its nap and the good, the Bart and the Loki. Yeah. This is really more about taking what they do in the show and making it writ big. The celebrity appearance, Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell. Yes. And did you see that Phineas was at Coachella this weekend and did a one minute acoustic version of one of the four town songs from Turning Red? No. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Nobody like you uh, at Coachella. We love to see it. <laughs> and speaking of things we love to see and face it, we started off today's show by talking about a large faceless corporation making decisions that impact, you know, People's lives, and you know, every so often we get to tell one of these stories where it's a large corporation doing a good thing. And in this case, we're talking about Paramount. 
Did you see what what they're doing for the Ukrainian refugees? No, I did not. You have all these little kids who, you know, have been chased out of their homes, who have now crossed the border into places like Poland and that sort of thing. And they're away from all of their creature comforts. And so what Paramount has decided to do, well, well first of all, they, they've made a $1 million donation to humanitarian relief organizations, but they've also announced that what they're going to do is take Nickelodeon kid-friendly content and make it available for free across all sorts of platforms in Europe with the idea that Ukrainian kids, where no matter where they are now, they can get their SpongeBob and, and Paw Patrol fix. Which I know, that's not food, that's not shelter, that's not the big things that you're looking for. But there's this great story that Daniel Pinkwater, I, I don't know if, if you know him, he's the, the children's author who's a, a contributor to Weekend Edition on NPR. No. He tells this great story about right after 9-11. And I think all of us remember what that first week to 10 days was like. You turn on the television and five minutes would go by and someone would show the towers falling down again, or they'd cut away to the rubble of the World Trade Center or the smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. And it was just, it was this incredibly unsettling time where you could not escape the news. And that was the thing. Daniel, after, you know, a couple of days was having overload and he just, I need to watch something else. And he, he was blipping around the, the, the cable channels. And again, everybody was showing the exact same thing except Nickelodeon. And they had SpongeBob. And Daniel talked about how he clung to SpongeBob like he was a life raft. This big, yellow, silly thing. He said, look, SpongeBob got me through 9-11. When I needed a break, I could go watch him and Patrick running through the jellyfish fields or, or him making Krabby Patties. And there's a part of me that kind of hopes that for Ukrainian kids who somebody can pull out a phone or a laptop or, or, or an actual television and turn on Paw Patrol or the Patrick Star Show, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that has the same effect. You know, that for just a few minutes, you can get away from the grim reality thanks to a, you know, a certain bright yellow individual who lives in a pineapple under the sea. <laughs> and speaking of, you know, and I'm sure there are Ukrainian adults that could also use a laugh, which I'm hoping they can seek out HBO Max. Have you heard about the, the show that they're doing with Adult Swim, the Hamlet Factory? No. You know the premise, right? That if you put an infinite number of monkeys and set them all down in front of typewriters and had them work for an infinite number of hours, they would eventually produce all of the great works of Shakespeare. Yes. It reminds me of the great Simpsons. Remember when Mr. Burns tried to make those monkeys do that and he read the sheet and it's he said, it was the best of times. It was the blurst of times and he crinkles it up and throws it at the monkey <laughs> well yeah this is very much in that style only only the gimmick is i guess the show is set up around the water cooler in this factory and it's just the monkeys on break from working on trying to write hamlet and it's just sort of like this sounds like a wonderfully funny premise i guess only three episodes have been produced to, to date but they're now available at, at hbo max but if you don't subscribe to that streaming service, might I suggest you seek out Adult Swim's YouTube channel, where individual episodes of this new 2D animated series will be popping up weekly. On the other hand, if those poor Ukrainian adults are looking for a break, and I hope to God that in a year it's time that they're not 
still, you know, over the Polish border and, you know, in a, a refugee camp. But God, I hope they don't make them watch Andy Circus's Animal Farm. No disrespect. Andy Circus is the king of performance capture, and he is working with Cinecite on this, and they are wonderful when it comes to animation and visual effects. So it's a top-notch team that's adapting this George Orwell book to film, but you read Animal House when they forced you to read it in high school, didn't they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, did you ever see his Jungle Book, though? I did not. How did that turn out? Well, it is just as grim as this animal farm, so I'm sure there'll be a level of fidelity to the source material, let's say. Anybody who read the book, you know, about, again, the the farm animals who chase off their owner and try to set up a utopian society only to, what is it, uh, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. It's just not a musical. No. I would have probably said the same thing going into Ice Age early on when somebody told me the premise of that. And I wound up loving that animated feature. And and, and in fact, just last week, we were talking about how Blue Sky Vets turned in uh, that wonderful little goodbye to the studio with Scrat finally getting an acorn and eating it. I thought second half of today's show, we'd take a, a moment to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the release of the first Ice Age film. More importantly, the very different film that we almost got. But then, of course, Mr. Taylor topped me because he's going to talk about the new Pixar movie, Lightyear, right? Yes, we can finally talk about it. Well, okay. So I I, I wonder what you'll be tuning back in for (laughs) after this ad. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Let's just get to it because Lightyear... Looks amazing. Does it deliver the goods? It it is amazing. It's really really great. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I thought. Uh, I mean, I've only seen thirty minutes of it. Mm-hmm. Thirty five minutes of it. Okay. So I've seen the first the first thirty, and then one extra scene mm-hmm. um, with some additional characters, including the one played by Taika Waititi. But this is a really awesome kind of like hardcore sci-fi movie from the studio and it just looks amazing and i think that angus has a really great sense of story and character and i think i cannot wait until i can see the rest of it i mean it just i'm obsessed jim i've watched the footage like three or four times i loved it so much yeah when you've described this what struck me was the confidence and the economy Uh, tell folks how this actually begins 
So the movie opens with a series of title cards. Mm -hmm. And basically it says, in 1995, Andy got a Buzz Lightyear toy for his birthday. It came from his favorite movie. And then that fades out and it fades up and it says, this is that movie. So you are just like, woo, yeah, I'm ready. Uh, Right after that. And it's really great. And, you know, I took part in a press day. Mm And Angus said that that actually, Mm -hmm. which was always my theory, was that the toy was actually from an animated series that came after the movie. Uh He thinks that the movie was made in the late 70s, early 80s, which is very cool and and explains the kind of visual aesthetic they went with, which they called, which they said they really wanted some chunky, chunkiness to the aesthetic. Hmm. But uh, yeah, it's just it's really, really great. So. Buzz Lightyear movie. There's a cartoon. Andy sees the movie. He wants the toy. Mm -hmm. He gets the toy that we all know and love. I think the thing that was really going to surprise people is this is a legit sci-fi premise, right? Yeah. I mean, if you don't want to know this part of it, Mm. this has not been in any marketing materials, Mm. but nobody yelled at me when I talked about it during the press day. So I think it's fair game. Okay. But this is a, this is a time travel movie is the element that that nobody has really talked about. Yeah, but it, but it's a time travel movie by way of Rod Serling. Yes. And and by way of Pixar in the sense that the emotional weight of that opening of up where you watch time pass and you watch people change mm-hmm. and you watch people pass away, mm-hmm. it's there. Mm-hmm. And if you're not crying, you know, I mean it's a very great hook. It's, you know, Every time Buzz tries to get off this planet, mm-hmm. he only is gone for 10 minutes mm-hmm. or whatever, but the planet has aged four or five years. So every time he comes back, the planet is very different. Mm-hmm. And the premise of the movie is what happens when he comes back and the planet is really different mm-hmm. and he has to save the day. So he's always been trying to get away from this planet, get away from this planet, and now he has to come back and save the people that are there. Is that is that a tantalizing tease, Jim? Absolutely. I'm. I you know from the moment I heard that, it's like I'm on board. At the same time, it makes me kind of feel bad for the Strange World team because it's like yes. this sounds like it has hit written all over it, and it's a very bold pivot away from the Buzz Lightyear we know from the Toy Story films. In fact, when you hear this, it's you know the whole notion. Well, of course. You'd want a Chris Evans, somebody new to come in to do be the genuinely heroic versus the Tim Allen who's been voicing that character forever. Because this is different. This is the film that the toy took its inspiration from. Yeah, it's it's all it, he's kind of the maverick type character. You know what I mean? Like he's a he's a go. cocky test pilot. <sighs> and he's you know, he's so like self-defeating at the very beginning when they crash on this planet. Mm-hmm. He is like ready to give up and he says, you know what, like take away my wings, Mm -hmm. you know, and his partner says, no, keep them. You are you are Buzz Lightyear. You are going to figure out a way Mm -hmm. to get us off this planet. And so it's just it's it's so wonderful. And um, did you see any of the toys, Jim, at Target? I've been trying to be strong because I don't know if you saw the Star Wars Galactic Pals. No, but you do need socks, Jim. 
Oh, you want to talk about socks for a minute? Is sock? There's a socks out there already. Oh no! Yes, there's almost like a Teddy Ruxpin style socks where his mouth moves and you hear Pete Sohn's voice. Um, and socks is a re- socks is cute, mm. but he's a really important character, and he ends up being Buzz's kind of ally in trying to to make things right. So. You, Jim, you need him for your. I know, cat tree I know, I know. I can see the cats behind I know, you. Right I know, I know that we have entirely too much feline plush. So, when might we be seeing the full film? Are, are we. I Well, I mean, you and I have talked about maybe will it be at CinemaCon? Um, maybe, I, you know, I won't be there, so I don't know. But, okay. I mean, hopefully very soon. Okay. Um, okay. I'm also doing a fun piece of helping out on a fun piece of Lightyear merchandise which i can't talk about yet but mm. i will say if you enjoyed my liner notes no past couple oh! of pixar movies you might want to think about pre-ordering the light year which by the way we have to talk about michael giacchino's score jim oh my god this is like you know black hole meets <sighs> star wars i mean it's great. Don't make me start to buy vinyl. I was just today <laughs> listening to this year for the first time in, in decades, vinyl sales in the United States went over a billion dollars. And I don't want to become part of that cult. But Drew Taylor liner notes. I know. I know. Well, you missed out on my other two. So maybe you can, okay. you can dip in for All this right. one. All right. I'll yeah. see what I can do. Okay. Okay, uh, we were at top of the show. We were talking about November 2002, again, when Treasure Planet walked bravely into the buzzsaw that was Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. And the meager ticket sales gave Mouse House managers pause. But if we're being completely honest here, what sealed the fate of hundreds of artists and animators who were working for Disney at that time were actually four other films. There was the first Shrek that DreamWorks Animation set out into theaters in May of 2001. Uh, there was Atlantis, The Lost Empire, which Disney sent out the following month, June of 2001. Then we have Monsters, Inc., uh, the fourth Pixar production, which Disney released into theaters November of 2001. And then finally, Ice Age, which 20th Century Fox released four months after that in March of 2002. And it literally came down to a numbers game. Monsters, Inc. sold $62 million worth of tickets over its opening weekend. Shrek sold $60 million worth of tickets over its opening weekend. Ice Age sold $59 million worth of tickets, whereas Atlantis, The Lost Empire, sold only $20 million. It did a third of the business that these three other CG films did. And that, for Disney, especially during the David Staten era, uh, was the handwriting of the wall. Disney looked at those numbers and decided that the public's taste in animated films had changed, that they no longer wanted hand-drawn animated features, that the ticket-buying public preferred CG, which is why Disney needed to respond to these forces in the marketplace and make immediate changes to its operation. And, And Drew, when I say immediate, I mean immediate. Ice Age opened in theaters on March 12, 2002, one week later, March 19th of that same year, Los Angeles Times announced that Disney was cutting over 250 jobs in their animation studio. And this is on the heels of the 500 people that had been let go the previous year, all because of what Atlantis's box office numbers had looked like compared to those of Shrek and uh, Monsters, Inc. And so th- this for me is why I have somewhat complicated feelings about Ice Age. I mean, I love 
this Blue Sky Studio film for its great story and its character design, but I'm not fond of the impact that this 20th Century Fox release had on Walt Disney Animation Studios back in the early uh, 2020s. I, I literally had dozens of friends who lost their jobs at the Mouse House because of Manny Sid and Diego. Yeah. By the way, I want to bring in a film that I know that Drew has a, a fondness for. June 16th, 2000, Titan IE opens in theaters, only sells 9.3 million dollars worth of tickets. Oof. And then on June 29th of that same year, Fox literally closed down its entire animation studio in Phoenix. It had been in operation for six years. They were working on a musical version of Dracula. Talk about something that nobody has seen any. I have never seen a sketch. I have never seen. No, that's exactly. I'm so hoping that Don Bluth has a memoir coming out later this year. It's called Somewhere Out There, My Animated Life, due to arrive July 19th of this year. And I'm hoping that, you know, given that he was part of the Arizona studio going down for the count, I'd love to hear what he has to say about the musical Dracula or, or maybe hope that's, you know, some art for it shows up in this thing. Yeah. On the other hand, how would you like to have been the guys at Disney studio who are working on Atlantis and treasure planet and watching his Titan AE spins in and it's back to back too. Yeah. This is where I'm worried about. This is where the strange world worry comes in. Same thing I was thinking today. It's like, I want Lightyear to work. I want strange worlds to work. Now, think about this. Fox Animation in Arizona has shut down. So Blue Sky gets the Ice Age gig by default because evidently they began working on the idea at the Arizona operation. And then like, oh, oh I had I did not know that. Yeah. All right. Was Chris Wedge there? See, that's the thing I'm trying to track down because Chris is on the map because of Bunny, which took home yes. the, the Academy Award in 1998. But in a weird sort of way, it's this repeat of the Disney Pixar situation from the early 90s. I mean, Pixar had won the Academy Award for Tin Toys, so they then get the offer of the three-picture deal with Disney to make features for the studio. But they don't have any real power or authority, which is why they have to constantly adjusting the film to the notes they're getting from Jeffrey Katzenberg, who then shuts right. it down because it, it's too mean-spirited. It's like, you told us to make it mean-spirited. Edgy, Jim. Edgy. Edgy. There we go. Edgy. Okay. So long story short, Blue Sky isn't even calling the shots on, on Ice Age. The execs of 20th Century Fox are. And so- Initial version of Ice Age is a far darker, more serious take on the material, which is why when they're looking to cast the world of Manny, they go with dramatic actors. They go James Earl Jones, Vin Diesel, and Robert De Niro. Oh, I never heard this. Yeah. And then over time, they realize, because the story is so dramatic. But think about it. There's a mom in this movie who's being pursued by saber-toothed tigers who want to kill and eat her baby, who then, to get away from these animals, essentially sacrifices herself. She jumps to her death over a waterfall and is a thing. Okay, so let's see the happy meal for that. Anyway, they pivot away from the dramatic actors. They begin to look at comedians who can be grumpy. So they first approach Steve Martin. Uh, when he passes on the role, that's when it, they, they wind up offering it to Ray Romano, who at this point... Everybody loves Raymond has been a hit on CBS since September of 96. But again, the notes that keep coming back from the Fox executives are, 
lighten it up, lighten it up. And also they're making these changes very late in the game. Like, I, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the the scenes that were cut for Sid where he's kind of a sleazy con man or a horn dog. Yes. And these are fully animated. I mean, yeah. Kristen Johnson from Third Rock from the Sun plays his girlfriend for a good chunk of this film. And, and I mean, she com- was completely cut out of the movie because it's like, this is a film for kids. And uh, on the other hand, Scrat, Scrat was only supposed to be in the movie for the the opening scene? I don't think he was even supposed to be in the opening. He was, I think, just kind of a throwaway gag later, and they made him the opening, and they made him the um, the teaser. That's it, exactly. That, that, in fact, there's this wonderful story about they got the film up on reels, they're showing it to the Fox executives, and one of the notes is, this movie's called Ice Age, right? It's a, I, I timed it 40 minutes. It's 40 minutes in before we see any snow. Right. And so it was this whole notion of, all right, you know, maybe we need a scene at the beginning that shows snow and ice. And there was this one gag with Scrat that got a reaction and, okay, why don't we do something with him? And then it became this whole thing. And he was getting such a big reaction at screenings that suddenly, well, we need three and four scenes with him. On the other hand, at the test screenings, Kids were weeping when Diego, the saber-toothed tiger, dies. I mean, he he literally sacrificed his life to save his friends and and the little caveman boy. And supposedly Dennis Leary is literally telling them while he's recording the lines, you know, you're going to get in trouble for this. They're going to be unhappy when I die. And sure enough, that that very, very late in the game, that, that's a note that came back from the test screen. He's like, he can't die. And so they had, they called Dennis back in to record a couple of lines. And I mean, that was the scene at the end where the badly injured Diego comes back and plays peekaboo with the, the, the little boy. One of the very last shots done for this thing. So kind of ironic that Disney now owns the Ice Age characters because Manny the Mammoth almost caused feature animation in California to be extinct. And now the five Ice Age films have grossed $3.2 billion worldwide. That makes Ice Age the 18th highest grossing film franchise of all time. More to the point, it's the third highest grossing animated franchise worldwide behind Despicable Me and Shrek. Also worth noting here that, remember, when when Disney initially was going to acquire those assets from Fox, they were going to pay $52.4 billion. And this was some cash, but largely a stock swap. And then Comcast came in with its all-cash bid for those very same assets of $60 billion. And in order for Disney to close the deal, they had to up their offer to $71.3 billion in cash and stock. And Disney is evidently still trying to recover that additional $19 billion that it hadn't planned on spending. I mean, that, that threw the whole... Fox acquisition plan out of whack financially. And so we were just talking about the Star Wars Galactic Pals. I'm told that there's at least an Ice Age Babies show in development for Disney Plus that will be supported by a merchandise line. But the thing we saw back in January of this year, the Ice Age Adventures of Buck Wild, likewise Scrat's Ice Age Tales that we just got earlier this month, that's evidently just the beginning of what we're going to see 
in regards to Ice Age, Disney, in order to to get that nineteen billion back, is going to be merchandising the Ice Age characters very, very, very heavily. So get ready for that. I'm, I'm told in in five years' time, many the Mammoth and Friends will be front and center, sort of like the Fab Five are. You did see what happened when they tried to to walk them out on uh, Disney social media. And all of the Blue Sky Studios fans came down, you know, hot and heavy on this effort because it's like, it's like you didn't create those. You just acquired them. So uh, going to be interesting to see what happens going forward here. But speaking of going forward, Drew has places to get to. So I should stop talking. But I, I, while you're doing all this traveling, Light the Fuse continues on, right? Or Continues on. We've got a bunch of uh, Top Gun Maverick stuff coming up. So keep it tuned there. Uh, and Jim, just a pre-liminary mm-hmm. answer to your question. Mm-hmm. Drew tailored on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> there we go. This is how desperate I am to leave. Okay. Not, not because of you, Jim, but because of... Yeah, you know, there, we are in a time control. So again, uh, the, the, make this easy for Mr. Taylor. Safe travels, Drew. And Thank you. And we'll it, be back next week. All right. Take care, folks.